does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Indiana wins it. 79-74, downing top rank Purdue over the weekend. Another fine chapter in that storied rivalry. Jimmy Cook and Scott Lung coming to you from the drivehubo.com studios in downtown Indianapolis. IU now third in the Big Ten after that monster win over Purdue and nice enough to take some time with us right off the top. He had 11 points, including four down the stretch. Trey Galloway of the Indiana Hoosiers. Trey, how you doing on a Monday? Doing good. How you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for making the time for us. Right off the bat, of that, that that's a very, very tight game down the stretch. You, I'm sure you guys knew, despite the big lead at halftime, that they were going to have a big run. They were going to have an answer at some point. Walk me through the closing minutes, those final couple timeouts, the messaging going on from Coach Woodson and staff to ultimately close that one out. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, it was a great environment, and they made a huge run in the second half. Um, but I felt like we really stayed composed um, throughout that whole second half, and it, it was good. Um, and the message Coach Wilson was that we're, we just got to relax and um, just take their punches because we knew, we knew they were going to fight back because um, they're, they're a good team. They're number one for a reason. So I think we just we stayed composed in that second half and then laid down the stretch. Um, obviously, we, we – had a lot of key buckets and key free throws that we hit. Um, so I think just main message is staying composed and trying to get stops and scores. So it was good. Not long. And um, so you go to IU and you're an Indiana kid. And some of your uh, your teammates aren't Indiana kids, and you try to explain the rivalry, nine straight Purdue victories, finally the last two years. What is the energy like in that arena? Is it different? Because it always feels so much different when the Boilers come to town. Oh, it for sure is. And then it's – I was telling people that I was the best environment I've ever played in. Um and it, it was it was incredible just to see how anticipated the game was, and I mean, obviously because they're number one, so everyone was really pretty much amped up for the game. Um, so it, it was it was really cool to see um, the students, the the fan base, really come rally together um, for that game. And I, I thought we handled it pretty well. Um, and it's just, the main thing I try to do is just take it all in because those are special moments that. Not many people get to get to um, have, so I, I just really took it in and enjoyed it. So I'm doing some research. I know your dad was your coach at Culver Academy. Your parents both played basketball at Bethel, right in Mishawaka. Yeah. So you grew up in, and I'm sure your parents were like, "Oh my gosh, IU Purdue." When we were growing up, it meant everything to the state. They talked about they didn't talk about the Colts. They didn't talk about the Pacers. Nothing. Everything stood still. It felt that way going into the game. Maybe because Purdue was ranked number one, and IU finally won last year. Do you guys feel that different kind of energy your freshman year? It wasn't quite the same. Yeah, I mean. 
we we've seen in the past couple of years me in high school just seeing Purdue kind of just be down on Indiana and it's it's been that way I mean obviously I don't really know the style off the top of my head but we know we know everyone knows that they've they've kind of had Indiana's number the past couple of years and I, that's one thing we wanted to change in this past couple of years we, we, we've, we've been able to win at home so um, it's been good to kind of just get that win um, because it, it, it is a big time rivalry and everyone knows it and everyone gets amped up for the game so I think just knowing what it means and knowing what it means to put on the Indiana jersey um, and, and represent the state it, it's, it's a really big time Trey Galloway, nice enough to take some time with us via the Mower Shop and Fishers hotline and the MowerShop.com. Indiana Trey has now won six of their last seven, and you guys have dealt with injuries this year. Obviously, Race Thompson back, but Xavier Johnson on the mend. Uh, Post game, and we played the clip to start the show, but Trace Jackson Davis mentioned the, the toughness of this group, the, the need for, for, for toughness as a whole in order to overcome the, the grind that is the Big Ten. How big has that kind of come together aspect of this locker room been over the last seven games it's been a huge just because you got you got to be tough in the big 10 uh, if you want to win um because it's a battle every night you go out seven on the floor the teams teams are competing at a really high level um and every team is competitive in the big 10 so you can't take any nights off and so i think just just having that mindset going into the games that you got to be ready to go to war. Um, it's huge. Uh, I think every game matter, uh, matters when it comes down the stretch, and I think it's going to be a battle for 40 minutes. So I think just knowing that we got to stick together, and it's a long season in February is a really important month. It's, it's, been, it's been kind of a our mindset of ours. When I watch IU, and I always feel better when Trey Galloway's out there because I'm a huge fan of the glue guy. IU, I think the Hoosiers have gotten a little too caught up sometimes in the past on who was a McDonald's All-American. They might have filled too many of those guys. You were 143rd ranked recruit coming out of high school. That's great. You need guys like that. Purdue has seemingly always had the Caleb First and the Mason Gillis, who are stars on their teams in high school, but knew how to feed the big guy, how to space things out. Do you kind of see your role as, like, I've got to be the guy who can do a little bit of everything when we're missing something? That's my job. Yeah. I mean, just – Going into the season, I knew um, what my role was, and I, I know what Coach Woodson wants me to do. And if he asks me to do something different, I'm going to do it. So I think just being able to um, play different roles, and when 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 things get tough, I can I can change it up a little bit. So I think just doing whatever the coaches ask me to do, I'm 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 ready to do it. So I think just having that availability and being able to do different things is is huge part of my game so I think just listening to the coaches and and knowing my game and I, I think that's yeah that's been a huge part of it Trey what's been the biggest part of your game you've seen improve this season compared to last I mean I, I obviously there's more playing time and you've kind of found your role with this team but but what's the biggest thing coach Woodson set to you to work on in the offseason and where have you seen kind of those fruits of your labor arrive this year 
Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is my shot. Um, we we all kind of knew um, that I'm a better shooter than what I was showing the first two years in college. And me and Coach Woodson met, and he said, you're doing a lot of great things, um, but obviously we, we, we can always work on your shot. And so I think that was my main thing I wanted to focus on was just getting, getting in the gym and getting reps because I had – I had surgery in the off season, so I wasn't really able to move much in the summer. So I just really wanted to focus on grooving my shot and getting a lot of reps. So I became confident with it and being able to trust my work. And so I think that was the biggest thing was just taking those reps this summer and getting a lot of shots up. And I think that's the main thing I've seen improvement on is my shot and just being a lot more confident with it. Obviously, this is year three for you, but was a lot of that just because a lot of high school kids forget it or don't realize it maybe you you knew about it but was the learning curve they always talk about how it's a step better at this level step better at that level and especially being the big 10 how much of an adjustment period was that for you over your first two years to now um yeah it, it was a, it was a pretty good adjustment i think just realizing the speed the athleticism and the strength this is it's it's a lot it's a lot better and so I learned it pretty quick when I got here. And the good thing is we had we had guys older than me that kind of really helped me when I first came in. And so I adapted it pretty quickly and knew. Um, and then there, there was a lot of ups and downs freshman year for me, um, just dealing with that physicality. Uh, but I think just just sticking with it and coming to, that, coming to practice every day and competing and knowing what I had to do to get better, um, that really helped me. We have Trey Galloway on the line here, and you speak of physicality. I always think of the Big Ten and, you know, guys, their bodies change. I think that's as much as anything. Obviously, you're stronger now than when you were a freshman. That's kind of been a miracle to me that Purdue starting two freshman guards. Their bodies look like freshmen. Uh, You are a great two-point shooter you've shot over 50 percent when you've been in bloomington people don't realize that but it was that three-point shot that was kind of killing you and your success and this year now you're shooting over you're actually shooting exactly 50 percent that is the thing that you think like is the change agent for kind of your offense this year i think so yeah because guys gotta respect me um in three-point line so I'm capable of putting it down on the floor. And I think everyone everyone knew that. Um, but now you kind of got to guard both ways and take a chance because I'm, I'm making threes now. I'm making shots on the outside. So it's, it, it's, I'm, I think I'm, I'm more difficult to guard. And so I think just continuing to get the get the constant reps um, from the three-point line and, and trusting my, my three-point shot, it, it's going to keep helping um, – other driving lanes for our other guards with when Xavier gets back and obviously Jalen being able to get downhill. And we also have Miller, who's a great shooter in scoop and all those guys. So I think just having that, the, that dynamic of guys being able to shoot the ball from outside, it, it really helps us driving lanes and even our bigs too, being able to play one-on-one because if they, if they double we kick out, we'll, we'll be able to knock on a shot. So I think just having our big guys be able to play one-on-one is huge for us. Trey, who's the best singer on your team? Like, if guys like letting loose, who would you say is the best singer on the IU basketball team? Um, that's a great question. I'm, I've never really 
heard anybody sing before. I mean, we did we did some carpool karaoke with me, Trace, Anthony, and Miller. Um, I'd say, I would say, Trace is he's not a bad singer. He's all right. Um, but I'd say the best if I if someone really had to sing was pro- probably Jordan Geronimo. And you know, his name's Jordan Geronimo. He sounds like he should be in a boy band. I don't know if you've looked in the mirror. You should be too. I was like going through a alt five time IU basketball player boy band. You and Jordan are in that. Now, I don't I realize you probably haven't thought about it. A young Steve Alford. Have you ever seen photos of him with his feathered hair? Uh, oh, I have. He was magic. Yeah. I don't know if you know. He couldn't even walk to campus. He was a rock star. So yeah. he's in the boy band. You know who the lead singer is, right, of the boy band? Think about it. Past IU basketball player, Victor Oladipo, masked oh, yeah. singer, the unmasked. Exactly. Yeah. What a voice. So he's the lead. And uh, I got to put in Romeo Langford. His name's Romeo. You yeah, can't you do better, right? Is there anyone else that you would put in that top five? Am I uh, leaving anybody out? Maybe Jimmy's got an answer. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's a that's a pretty good list right there. It is. Um, I agree. I, I think that that list would that list could do some damage in a boy band for sure. Now, uh, do you think you'd be like? Do you have backup vocal skills? Do you think you could do that part? Maybe a little dancing. I What's could, your dance skills? Yeah, I could do that. No, my dance my dancing skills are pretty top tier. Oh. Um, yeah, they're. Are you they're first to the? Are, are you first to the uh, like the social media videos we see post locker room? Are you, yeah. are you first to that circle? Who's first in the circle, oh, if not you? 100%. It's me and Jordan Geronimo, oh. the first two to always, always get the dancing going. See, you don't uh, learn yeah. those things on other sports shows. <laughs> Cut that one right now. That is magic, Eddie, please. So, um, hey, next time you're thinking about it, maybe you and Jordan get together, do a little thing. Um, you don't have to like fr- freestyle any rap because you got to be careful. You know, I'm sure you've been told yeah. by Coach Woodson, easy, pump the brakes. Of yeah. uh, now, we had Don Fisher, and Don Fisher's going to be on Jimmy yep, Wright yep, yep. at 12.30. Fish was like, I'm a little concerned about Maryland. You remember that? He, yep, Jimmy he did, was like, he did. I'm stressed about that one. He had very little stress about Purdue. That guy's like Nostradamus. Did you know that? <laughs> no, he's, he's great. I'll I love having him him around and him traveling with us. He's always he's always telling me that whenever, whenever he sees me, he tells me to shoot the ball just because I'm shooting it pretty well right now. So every time he sees me, so that's the when you, when, you, when you talk to him, tell ask him what he says to me. I guarantee every time he tell every time he sees me, he tells me to shoot it. So I'll say that pretty funny. Trace, last question. Or, Jesus, Trace, sorry. Last question on my end, Trey. I wanted to ask you because we talk about all the time the different. Well, the media uses it as a narrative, right, for trap games. I'm sure the locker room and Coach Woods, and he doesn't mess around with all that. But this isn't a trap game anymore against Rutgers. This is a team that's uh, had Indiana's number over the last couple of seasons. As you turn your attention there, Trey, where do you need the biggest impact to be from? Obviously from Trace and down low, but what's the biggest impact to get a W over Rutgers here tomorrow night? Yeah, um, I'd say all of us and just our toughness because um, they're, they're a team that really, really – Prides them, prides himself on being tough and out tough on their opponents. So I think just coming into the game and knowing that it's going to be physical um, and knowing that we got to rebound because um, they they love, they love the offensive rebound and, and crash the board. So I think just 
being more physical than them and taking care of the ball because they, they thrive off getting teams to turn it over and speeding them up. So I think just taking care of the ball and rebounding is, is the two biggest things that we really got to focus on if we want to win this game. And obviously, they they have been they've had our numbers the past couple of years, but we're, it's personal, um, and so we we got to take take it personal and know that. Um, this game is just important as the Purdue game. Um, every game we play from here on out is, is is real important. So I think just knowing that what we got to do and executing the game plan, the things I just said, will, will be huge. Okay, Trey, I misled you. One last question because my producer, <laughs> uh, Eddie Garrison, got in my ear. Uh, when or was it just uh, spontaneously uh, recently, the Mike Woodson head rub? Where, where, where did that come from? Who, who first started that? <laughs> um. I don't even know who started it, but I think just I think everyone wanted to do it because you got you got the bald head. So I think just, <laughs> just messing around with them every time we go to closing out practice or anything, we kind of just mess with them, put our hand on his head, or just smack his head, any something like that. It's fun stuff. It's it's pretty funny just to see him and his reaction because he can't really do much about it. <laughs> so it's it's pretty cool. That's great stuff, Trey. Uh, congrats again on the win. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way, including Rutgers tomorrow night. And uh, looking forward to watching it all unfold as the rest of the season takes place. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. That is Trey Galloway of the Indiana Hoosiers. Nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, services, equipment, and so much more. They'll be covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. If I had a dollar for every time I had a smile on my face listening to a call by our next guest, I'd be a very, very rich man. The voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher. Nice enough to take some time with us as he does each and every Monday. IU wins 79-74 to over top-ranked Purdue. Fish, I'm not diving in box score to start off with. I'm, I'm, I'm going into your archives, and I know this is a silly way to start the interview but i'm doing it this way anyway i put my foot down i've decided it uh volume ranking loudness felt very loud in assembly hall uh where does it go does it crack the top 10 oh yeah that was no question i mean it's in there i mean you know it's hard to judge that because i'm telling you the one time the the only one time that my ears have popped was when Marco Killingsworth went down and dunked the ball uh, with the Mike Davis team back in, I can't even remember the year now, 2004, five, whatever it was. <laughs> Marco Killingsworth went down against Duke and absolutely destroyed the rim with a, with a dunk. And my ear, my literally my right ear just absolutely popped. I thought I'd lost an eardrum. <laughs> Uh, that's how loud it was. That's the loudest I've ever remembered it, but we have had a myriad of games over the years that uh, the crowd was that uh, intense and loud as it was on Saturday, and Saturday was right there with all the rest of them. Hey, Don, this is Scott Long. And by the way, listeners, if you had in your pool Marco Killingsworth as the loudest impact, you win. I mean, you win the lottery on that one. I loved hearing that. Uh, Now, Don, I don't know if you know, I do a uh, sports betting show with Jason Hammer every Saturday and Sunday. And I feel like the Nostradamus of IU is you last week we have you on Monday you say I'm really concerned about the Maryland game you (laughs) knew that 
Purdue and IU, you weren't concerned about effort or focus. It's just some places create problems. What did you see going into that game that you were proven, unfortunately, right? right. Yeah, unfortunately, right is right. Uh, There's no question that – I mean, Maryland, first of all, is playing the best they've played all year. That's that was the number one thing. The other thing that I noticed was that they were the best defensive basketball team at Maryland, and we've seen in several years now. And they had three starters back from last year, um, and with a couple of guys. Uh, Jameer Young was just <laughs> sensational against us, but that's the way he's been all season long for Maryland. He's been their main uh, scoring guy, and all those things concern me. But as much as anything, when you go through five games and you've won five in a row and you've played really well in four of those, and the Minnesota game was a week in, uh, back and, of course, in nobody's mind at that point because they just bounced back after that ball game and clobbered Ohio State. So when you looked at it, you went, wow, if there is a game and, if, and if Purdue, you got Purdue coming up on this Saturday. So <laughs> if there's a trap game out there, if that's such a thing, uh, it's going to be this one. And so that was what concerned me about the Maryland ball game. And then we went out, then Indiana went out and played or shot the ball very poorly in that contest and did not execute the offense, I didn't think, very well at all, especially in the second half. And it cost them. And uh, so I, that's, that was my feeling on it. That's why I thought that game was uh, going to be a struggle. And uh, they didn't pass the test, so they had to come back and, and make up for it when they beat Purdue on Saturday. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline on the motorshop.com. 25 points, seven boards, five blocks for Trace Jackson Davis. Was that his most complete performance of the year, Fish? No, I I mean, he's had, he's had in this myriad of games we just had, and what am I using the word myriad for than one time? (laughs) Very impressive for this show. (laughs) It's it's really impressive for me too, but I don't know why I did it subconsciously. (laughs) At any rate, uh, I think Trace has had such a good second half of the season uh, since they restarted Big Ten play. Uh, This guy's on fire right now. He's playing, uh, Every single ball game with intent and purpose and wanting to carry this ball club basically on his shoulders at times when he has to. And so I, I, I'm not going to sit here and quantify any right. of the games he's played in of late simply because I just think he's played terrific in all of them. And, and he's, he's really a guy that has, he has intent. He is, he's got a goal in mind here for himself and for his team. And uh, what I see is the best I've seen version of Trace Jackson Davis since he's been at IU. A countless or extremely great number is the definition of myriad. I just looked it up. (laughs) Don, you have made our audience smarter like you do every week that you come on to the show. Now, we had Trey Galloway on before, and he said there's one thing that Don Fisher always says to me. Tell, tell and he he told us. Let's see if you guys were on like one of those uh, shows where you have to kind of like the newlywed yep, game. Yep. Let's see if you can get the answer. What would be that uh, answer? Shoot! Exactly! <laughs> ding ding ding! We got to get the sound effects. Uh, I I told him I just love when Trey Galloway is out there in the game. He wasn't 
and McDonald's All-American. He was 143rd recruit. He grew up in Indiana. His dad was a coach. There's something special about the glue that he creates when he's out there. The offense always runs better. He's got a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio. When you see him come out there, do you feel calmer? Uh, actually, I, I feel more consternation because he won't shoot enough. Yes! <laughs> I want that guy. I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. I watch him in practice. I watch him in warm-ups. He knocks down trees like you cannot believe. It's just it's it's frightening at times how good he is shooting the three ball. And we didn't see that out of him in his freshman or sophomore years. And the fact that he went through with a lot of injury issues last summer and had to have surgery, um, and, of course, he's had injury problems in the past with that wrist and all those kinds of things, it's not. It's understandable why he might be reticent at some times to shoot the basketball. But in that period last summer, he, that's all he could do was shoot. He, he couldn't go out there and run up and down the floor. He couldn't hand, work on his ball handling skills or those kinds of things. He was shooting in the gym every day. That's the only thing he was allowed to do. And so he did it. And he has improved his shot immensely. I don't know how much he's changed his technique. He said he didn't think he's changed his technique all that much at all. But whatever he's done, he has gotten into a rhythm of shooting the basketball that I had previously not seen in him. And therefore, uh, like I said, every time I see him, he's walking down the aisle of the plane. He walks by me. I go, shoot. <laughs> that is, if you own a t-shirt company we need to have a t-shirt made don fisher's face on it quote bubble and it just says shoot the ball trey shoot the ball oh i mean 20 for 40 he's got to get more shots up 40 shots in this many games i'm with you on that one don yeah i mean he's he's i mean he's become special in that vein and I mean, we can't get Miller Cop to do it either. I don't tell Miller Cop to do it because I just don't see the reason because Miller just won't do it. He gets out there in that corner and ah, it bugs me. But nevertheless, I mean. Well, Miller's almost as old as you. So that's another no, thing. You, know, you got to respect you know, your elders. He's an aging veteran. There's no question <laughs> about that. And, and, he, he's, and he's a great shooter. I mean, but, but the guys that we need to shoot the basketball as much as we'd like them to aren't doing it. And sometimes you've got to get these guys reminded that they that's their whole deal. They can shoot the basketball, but it's not Trey's. In Trey's position, he's playing a point a lot of the time. He's bringing the ball up a bunch. He and uh, uh, Jenna Hood Shafino have become really good compadres out there in the, in the backcourt. Um, I, I just like what I'm seeing from this basketball team. And we still don't have Xavier Johnson back, but when he gets back, then you just got another component you can yep. fit in there. It's going to be special. So, I mean, right now this team is playing uh, their best basketball that they've played over the last several years now, and uh, you, you just got to be happy about it. You got to be excited about it. And uh, even if they don't shoot it as much as I think they should, I love these kids and what they're doing right now and, and, and the mindset that they all have. Before we next talk to you, Don, two more for the Hoosiers against Rutgers at home tomorrow night and then Saturday on the road against Michigan. Uh, focusing on Rutgers for just a second. I, I it's Sneakily is what I'm going to call it. They've won six in a row in this series and uh, eight of the last nine. Yep. Where, I feel like that like th- that gets remembered as we get closer to the matchup and then forgotten about. And then it's like, oh, wow, yeah, they haven't beaten Rutgers in a long time. Uh, what's your – since we – 
you've been crowned uh, Nostradamus by Scott Long. I hate to <laughs> hate to make you go back uh, go back into the crystal ball, but uh, what are you looking forward to in this matchup against Rutgers? Well, I'm looking forward to a win because we haven't had one in the last six matchups, and I know who else is looking for it because he hasn't beaten them since he's been in Indiana. That's Trace yeah. Jackson Davis. Um, he, he, I know he's got. I know he went into that last game with a chip on his shoulder in that regard. Uh, the chip needs to be about the size of a, a tall pine tree right now because <laughs> he, he, they need a win. They need to, they need to beat this team. And poor, on top of that. Uh, they're right there. I mean, they're right there with Rutgers for second place in the league. So they can actually tie Rutgers for second place in the league with a win against Rutgers on Tuesday night. So, and that just puts you that much closer to Purdue. So uh, right now, this is critical for this Indiana basketball team. And I'm not saying that they're going to beat Rutgers. Uh, I, 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 I'm not, not going to play Nostradamus in that regard because <laughs> I think they can, but they haven't. So you yep. got to prove it. And And at this juncture, this team... They do need this win for other purposes outside of just breaking the losing skid to these uh, Scarlet Knights. But at the same time, uh, they know what's on the line. The problem with this ball game is the amount of energy and emotion you spent in that Purdue ball game. You just hope that that doesn't come back to bite them a little bit in this matchup because this is a huge game from Indiana's perspective for so many different reasons. Don, I know you've been asked this one a lot, but uh, we were talking to Trace Jackson Davis, and this is the way my brain thinks. I mean, when you got to IU, the biggest boy band in uh, in America was the Jackson Five. They were from Gary, Indiana. They were Indiana's own. I was trying to come up with the boy band IU Player Hall of Fame, and of course, Victor Oladipo would be the singer. We saw him sing. And uh, I brought it up to Trey because Trey looks like he'd be on the cover of Tiger Beat, right, Don? I mean, he's yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve Alford, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer with the feathered hair. Who would you add to that? To have you, who's the best singer? Have you ever heard like one of the players that was like just an amazing <laughs> singer, and everyone was like touting him out? Obviously, Victor was one. Well, Vic is the only guy I've ever heard sing from okay. IU's basketball program, so uh, he would be a solo act. <laughs> and what about I don't dancers? Know anybody else? What about Who? dance? About dancing? Maybe a backup dancer? You know, a pip? Because Trey said he's a good dancer, uh, which doesn't seem fair to be that good looking and a dancer and a good basketball player. But is there any other guys that you've uh, you've heard in your days at Bloomington? <laughs> I don't. I, I can tell you that there's not a single player on an Indiana basketball team over the years. Well, I shouldn't say not a single one, but very few that wouldn't say they were outstanding dancers. They all think they can dance, of which probably only about ten percent might be able to. <laughs> we need to have uh, maybe a halftime where all the alumni come back. We have a dance-off. We raise money for some great... The Don, Don, do you have a, like a pet charity that you uh, raise money for? Oh, I don't. I really don't raise money for any. I give to a lot of different charities, right. but I, I don't raise money for any of them. I should probably. Nah. But if I was going to give to one or I was going to try to help raise money for one, it would be Tuttles to Towers. Let's do it. Let's put this together, Jimmy. You and I, we're going to this we're going to get this barnstorming tour across <laughs> Indiana together. We're going to probably Uwe Blob, you know, I don't know if he's a good dancer, but we're going to try it. You know? Let me tell you, let me tell you if you ask this guy, this is the one guy I would tell you that he would think he's the best dancer oh. of any Indiana player ever. That's Derek Elston. He'll tell you that. He'll tell you he's the best at everything. 
I love it. Well, maybe he's. Eric will tell you the best. Day. Tell I'm telling you right now. Call him up. Have him on your show, and I guarantee there won't be one thing that you ask him about that he won't say he's the best. Day. <laughs> I love that. This information is so golden to me. He's gonna kill me. <laughs> Don, last thing on my end. Um, I I don't want to uh, butter you up too much, so I'll, so I'll hit you with a punch real quick. I was negative twenty two uh, when you started uh, at Indiana. Um, <laughs> Honored uh, halftime of IU Purdue, uh, 50 years behind the mic for Indiana. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I, I know there's been a, a number of accolades your way over the last six to eight months, but uh, for it to be that game and, and and to be honored, I know you thank the fans, but uh, what did that mean to, to have that moment for you added to your bookcase of many memories at Indiana? Well, it was a very nice honor, without question. Scott Dolson, the athletic director, he and I have been friends ever since he was on campus as a manager for Bob Knight back in the mid-'80s. And uh, Scott uh, put that whole thing together, and I really appreciated it. But I told him the only way I was going to go out there on the floor for anything like that was if I could take all my color analysts with me. And he allowed me to do that, and that's why I had him out there with me, and I introduced each and every one of them because how important they have been to our broadcast through the years. All the awards that I've won, they ought to have yep. their names on it just just like mine. So it, 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 I'm the one that gets the name on it, but they should have them on there as well. Man, it makes it a lot easier when you're up 15 when you walk out there too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I didn't think really about that until after the ball game was over with, and I thought, what if we're getting beat by 15? Yeah. What am I going to say then? This is going to be awful. <laughs> maybe I would have just. Maybe I would have just said. Uh, boys, let's do this another day. <laughs> <laughs> they can punt. They can move it around. What's, what's, yeah, the, what's the issue? <laughs> Scott and the president, uh, president of the university, are both standing out there going, "What are we doing out here? <laughs> We're by ourselves. There's nobody coming out." I think Scott Dolson is talking about doing that every home game. Now that you get a 15 point lead, you bring Don Fisher out. We celebrate him. Uh, Maybe you got your football announcers. Did you have the basketball and the football, or just the basketball for this? I had I had all the guys who have been color analysts That's on great. both That's football awesome. and basketball with me, with the exception of Royce Waltman, who passed away right. several years ago, um, and obviously one of the really great guys you'd ever meet. And then uh, Pete Campisi, who did football for five years after Dan Thompson uh, uh, hung it up. Uh, after those, though, Pete was not able to be there because he has a place in Florida. He spends most of his time in Florida in the wintertime, and he didn't have the uh, ability to get back here for this thing for this thing on Saturday. So he was not there. But every other guy I had, including Max Skirvin, who I think he's 93 now, uh, he did it for football and basketball for 24 years Man. before he retired back in late 1997, I think it was. So uh, all those guys were there. Todd Leary was there. I mean, I love Todd to death. Uh, he obviously got himself a little bit of a problem a few years ago, and he has come back strong after that. And uh, we, we just had really great people on our broadcasts. And like I said before, they should have their names on these plaques and these awards just as much as I have. Did you put them in order of chronological or by your favorites? <laughs> You mean when I introduced them? Yeah. Like, did you start off with, well, this one is no. my all-time favorite right here, and this guy at the end is no. like, didn't really care for him, but thanks for showing up. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm telling you, all my guys have been really terrific. And, and like I said before, there's I'm not going to go to favorites lists or anything like right. that. That would be the last thing you do. But <laughs> but I, I believe, believe me when I say this, and Bob Hamill, 
you know, who was the great sports writer and one of the best writers in the history of uh, college athletics, uh, has been one of my best friends ever since I've gotten here, uh, since I started uh, in 1973, and a guy that would uh, <laughs> pat me on the back and put his arm around me and tell me, it's okay, Coach Knight will handle this thing <laughs> definitely the next time. But, but, you know, I mean, he kind of walked me through the issues that were back in the day, if you know what I'm saying. So at any rate, uh, all these guys really have been great friends, number one, but number two, they have been an integral part of our broadcast. And, of course, Joe Smith, I left him for last for a reason. He was, he's was he been with me the longest. He was there for 40 years with me and, and just hung it up after this football past football season. Uh, he's still, he's, he had an accident about six years ago. We kept the job open for him for a year when he was rehabbing and all that kind of stuff, put him back on the air. And uh, the injury that he, uh, that he occurred has really kind of dilapidated his situation a little bit from a physical standpoint. Can't do all the things he used to do, and traveling's difficult for him. But he's still doing high school sports in Bloomington, and he's an icon there. And he did so many different things. He's our, our Swiss Army knife, so to speak. He, he was a statistician. He was a spotter. He was an engineer. He did play-by-play for up, up in Alaska when I couldn't go because of football. Uh, to sit in for me there. And one time when I got laryngitis, he sat in the second half of that ball game. And then, of course, he's uh, been the pregame, halftime, postgame guy as well. So they, all these guys have been special, no question about it. But Joe, of course, is the guy that's been with me the longest. Well, Don, I'm sure it was really special to get to celebrate with all your former and current colleagues. Uh, congratulations again on 50 years. And, uh, uh, Don, do you want me to say here's the 50 more? Do you want to go that long? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, as well as I do, there's no chance it's going to be 50 more. So we'll just take it one year at a time. Modern medicine, okay? Don, come on. <laughs> well, they, they can put me in a cryo chamber or something like that, maybe, and I could come back out later on, maybe pick up another 20 years or so. <laughs> oh, thank you, Don. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See ya. That is the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, on the Motor Shop at Fisher's Hotline and the MotorShop.com. Cavaliers handled the Pacers last night, 122-103, to the final at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. With Scott Long, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison guiding us through this afternoon's show. Joining us now, one of our own on 1075thefan.com. And also, you can find all of his content on Fieldhouse Files with Scott Agnes. He is the aforementioned Scott Agnes. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Agnes on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline. And Scott, uh, taking in a little G League action today? Hey, Jimmy. Yeah, good to be on with you. And, and for sure, yeah, the Mad Ants playing two home games this week at the Fieldhouse. So it's a perfect opportunity for me to not only catch up and talk with many of them, but also Terry Taylor, who's not in the rotation right now. He was assigned to the team, so he started and is getting a lot of action right now. I know you've made that trip before, but I take half of my compliment away because I was more impressed that you made the trek up to, to Fort Wayne to see it today. Now I'm less, I'm still impressed you're making the time, but I, but I got to be honest with you. and I got to take it back just a little bit. Yeah, not nearly the commitment when it's just a field house. It's a mile down the road rather than two hours north of Fort Wayne, for sure. Hey, Scott, this is Scott Long. I took my family up to see uh, a game in Fort Wayne with the Mad Ants. Uh, if you've not been there, that is those are people that are trying really hard to make it all about family. I went to see Luca Garza, uh, an Iowa grad, um, friends mm-hmm. with the family. And uh, you remember how Luca Garza used to dominate the 
college basketball world. He was the leading scorer. No one could do anything against him. It was just like crazy. It just shows, but then he can't really stay in the NBA. That's what's kind of remarkable about the G League when you see there's like two or three players out there that just can't be touched, but it shows that difference. That next step is so incredible. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you take the Mad Ants, for example. They have a guy, Gabe York, who's a flamethrower, a sharpshooter, you know, top five in the league in scoring, which you would think every team would covet, but he's a little undersized. He's even a defensive-minded, you know, guy that averages two steals per game, but he can't he can't get, even get a call-up, a 10-day contract right now. I feel so bad for him. I mean, he's 30, he's fighting for it, but Luca Garza, you know, Gabe York, Justin Anderson also at the Madness, so many of these guys, and it shows that clear line of distinction. And so those 450 guys to NBA rosters, that's why if you're not that top tier you really have to appreciate everything you have because it can end just like that. And there's another guy in the next class in the next class fighting for your role. Hey, well, that's what we do at 107.5. All the mad ants talk you could ever ask for. <laughs> yes. Scott Agnes. Now, yesterday, you kind of wished uh, – you were watching some G League. That was rough. It's uh, looking at the box score when I was watching. I'm like, you know, Halliburton, Tyrese, always great. Five for ten. For he was minus thirty. You do the plus minus, yep. and Matherin was minus twenty one. Take a screenshot of that. You'll never see it again. What happened yesterday? It just uh, my partner Jason Hammer on All Indiana Bets. That was his best mm-hmm. bet. Pacers. Take the Pacers and the points. Uh, maybe he put the jinx on him. I'm going to blame Hammer. <laughs> oh, man. I should have told him the other way for sure. I mean, maybe for Pacer fans, maybe haven't followed. Cleveland's the top defense in the league right now. Right. Top defensive rating. So you came in expecting points to be difficult to be scored on. And, and more than ever now, especially with Tyrese earning the all-star nomination. So that's beside his name forever, an all-star. Teams are really locking in on him, and they realize if we take away Tyrese, just look at what the Pacers did with Tyrese not playing for 11 games, right? They won one game. And so opponents are centered on let's minimize Tyrese, even if um, he has the ball and then we can take it away out of his hand and not get him in pick-and-roll situations. So they did a great job, Scott, of locking in on him and kind of getting him off his spots, getting the ball out of his hand really after the second quarter. And you saw the Pacers had like 19 points in the second, maybe 21 in the fourth quarter. And in the NBA basketball, you're not going to win games doing that. And on top of that, then the Cleveland also had a really good offense. Their top five starters, all 17 points or more. So it was a balanced attack. And Pacers just really struggled to hang on ever since that second quarter surge by Cleveland. I know Coach Carlisle was a little frustrated with it as well, but when you look at a team like the Cavaliers, who've known they're they're the fifth seed, you mentioned their firepower, and not just on the defensive end, but offensively as well. And the Pacers pride themselves on those defensive principles. All five getting double figures, like you mentioned. They shoot fifty-two percent from the field. Is this a, just an anomaly against a, a, a pretty solid Cavs team, or is this is part of a larger trend, Scott? Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're quite as bad as we saw, but I, I think this is this was a message, a reiteration of, look, Pacers are that far from being a contender again, and that's why I stress, especially this week, it's important for not for the Pacers not to just be comfortable and not to be content with where they are right now. That thinking Tyrese, yes, he changes a lot, but he is not everything. He's not going to make them an automatic four seed in the East by any means. 
And so that's where if, if you're re- reevaluating this team and trying to find spots to improve, you, you want to get off this treadmill. It feels like right now Pacers are back on that treadmill kind of a mediocrity right now. Um, and, and I think it's important for them not to get lost, not to forget. And I'm talking more about, you know, in, when considering potential deals, it's important right. to recognize, you know, let's let's get that focus back to where it was at the beginning of the season and where it was talking about growth, not about individual games, and more so about finding finding ways to maximize this roster and then ultimately tweak the roster to however you need. So we're in the studios before you get on, Scott, and there's a lot of controversy. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> maybe it made sense. It was the Pacer night or, or a game with a Louisville Cardinal on the side mm-hmm. of the hat. The Pacers actually played like the Louisville Cardinals last <laughs> night. The current version, uh, they're not, not that bad. I mean, because they're the worst team in college yeah. uh, college basketball, uh, div- like a power five. Yep. I mean, I don't know if they – I don't think they could win the, the Horizon the way they're playing currently. But the big news is Kentucky on the side of a Pacers – cap before the IU game uh I don't want to put any blame but it's Eddie White right isn't he part of this problem <laughs> oh it's all it's all in good fun I get you're right though go to that pacer tweet people are the, mad the, Scott the, yeah the replies and the quote retweets will give you some uh comedy and some entertainment for a few minutes if you need it now the backstory on this is the pacers for se- the last several years now have been doing these like university nights. Now, right. typically, we've had IU, we've had IUPUI, we've had Purdue, we've had Notre Dame, and Louisville before because of the Donovan Mitchell connection, the fact that Louisville really doesn't have an NBA team, that it's just two-hour drive away. And I even tweeted last night, I gave Donovan Mitchell credit after the game, after shaking hands with team, uh, with opponents. He was walking around the, the, the field house lower bowl taking photos, signing autographs. There were hundreds of Louisville fans here for this night. So to me, this is the Pacers leaning in to a Kentucky night, which of course Phoenix has a lot of connections there with, you know, Devin Booker's the one that jumps out there. And remember this team to start the season last in attendance. So you're trying to find all kinds of creative ways to bring in different kinds of fans. And yeah, no doubt that that hat has brought a lot of controversy as a lot of IU fans in particular, don't want to see anything UK on a Pacers hat. Yeah, I mean it, it. It does irk me a little bit, but I I get it to an extent, right? I mean they're they're the closest team that Louisville has. You're trying to extend the fan base a little bit. I'm I'm I don't know. I'm not too not too hot about it. But the comments to your point, Scott, were just just great gold. Just publicity gold. for the Pacers. It's Pacer time, and uh, you're trying to crack that IU Purdue focus in the uh, media. <laughs> so hey, we're talking about it. How do you look? Oh, go ahead. What this does show us and reiterates is we got to get that series back with IU Kentucky. Oh, yeah. If fans are so upset about a logo on a hat, what are we doing here? We need that game back because that was that was an annual rite of passage or something it felt like for Indiana and Kentucky fans alike. Scott Agnes, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's Hotline and the com. Scott, this is an off-the-court thing, but uh, – you have an article up on 107.5thefan.com that uh, I don't want to paraphrase it out of context, but it's been reported by a couple of different outlets about the NBA investigating January 29th confrontation. Uh, had the Pacers worried uh, when they left FedEx Forum 
Uh, can you go in a little bit about what that uh, report revealed uh, in general as the NBA is kind of uh, still, sorry, not fully revealed yet, but the investigation that's ongoing by the league regarding that uh, incident? Yeah, so about an hour before last night's game, Pacers and Cavaliers, that story in the athletic dropped. and So then, uh, you, you know, you get a little bit more details there. And what it was talking about was regarding an incident. That was one week ago at the FedEx Forum, which, by the way, ironically, is designed almost a duplicate of the Cambridge Fieldhouse. But nonetheless, Pacers were in the, the loading dock. And kind of we, we all remember in that third quarter, 228 left. And John Morant's close friend, um, Devontae Pack, was having some words that spilled over onto the court. Devontae Pack was escorted off the, off the court. The fact that Lloyd Pierce, Pacers' assistant coach, and James Johnson looked heated. They were visibly upset. Don't know anything that was said, right? But to see those men get so disturbed about whatever, was, whatever transpired, whatever was said, and then presumably uh, you know, that continued as the Pacers were trying to leave the arena there Uh, a lot of the details unknown completely but from that athletic report saying you know those talks maybe continued a little bit and then where the pacers were fearful and i was able to confirm this was uh that an suv of of a group that included john moran and his friends drove by and the pacers saw a red laser which generally indicates there's a gun and so the pacers in that traveling party and by the way we're not exactly sure specifically who was right. on that bus. We know Rick Carlisle. We know Miles Turner. We know Tyrese Halliburton. We're not part of that. And generally speaking, and I could go into this a lot more, but there's several team buses. They leave at different times. They leave for the airport. Um, but a member of team security has noted in that story saying, hey, that's 100% a gun. And so the Pacers are were absolutely fearful about that. But fortunately, nothing more came of it. NBA issued a statement saying they were able, through video surveillance and interviews, able to confirm, yes, there was some heated words, a confrontation, but they could not uh, see that there was maybe any indication or uh, evidence, I should say, of, of a, a gun in sight. But that's that's difficult to dig up. I think it was 930 at night, so it's very dark. Right. Not sure what their camera systems look like, but just glad everyone's okay. But it was a scary night, certainly, for those of the traveling party who were part of that. I, I am, I'm just like stunned by this story. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is stunning. I, in my lifetime, I've never heard of anything off the court. You know, there's been a couple times guys have gotten into it from even the same team in the locker room or afterwards. But uh, is this like, is this more of a concern of the hanger ons, the, the guys that are hanging out with uh, John Morant? Is that where this problem's coming out of? Because, Quite frankly, I consider John Morant the most important player in the NBA on so many levels. He's just the pure showtime. He's what you know you want the NBA around. He came from a small school, from a small, smaller area. I just I love watching the guy. So this is kind of uh, it's it's upsetting for me to even hear. No, you're exactly right. He's one of those that I say is probably like the seven guys in the league that is worth the ticket dollar. Yeah. You never know what you're going to see. We all remember him here a couple weeks ago, having what he said was the best dunk in his career. Like it is pure entertainment. So no doubt about that. And, and I would agree. I think there's that level of concern about those. Maybe he allows around him and, and, you know, all of that. We remember a couple weeks ago, right. When the Grizzlies were in, in, uh, at the crypto.com arena, former Staples center in LA, 
and Shannon Sharp and T. Moran, his dad, and then it spilled onto the court a little bit. The troubling thing, I think, both from the NBA and the Memphis Grizzlies' perspective, is that they're, 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 these continue to add up. It's one thing after the other. And then this one, you see so many times guys on the court, you know, meet me outside. Let's go, you know, back in the <laughs> locker or whatever. And it never really does. Right. It never escalates to that level. The concern, I think, obviously, is that maybe it was trying to reach that point, at least from one side. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's what had everyone a little upset and, and nervous. And, and certainly the Pacers were – I don't know, fearful a little bit, I should say. Scott Agnes joining us of Fieldhouse Files and one of our own here at 107.5 The Fan, 107.5thefan.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Agnes. Scott wanted to jump nationally here for a second. Scott Long and I had talked about it a little bit uh, before the show started. Want to get your thoughts in general. A lot of drama on the, no surprise here, with Kyrie, this time though on the trade front and in general, <laughs> finally finds a destination in Dallas. Uh, your thoughts on... That trade as a whole, and also what it does, if anything, to the trade markets uh, across the league, and if that impacts Indiana at all in any way. Yeah, I'm sitting back just personally, and if if I had an NBA team, there's no way I'm touching this. Why? Why are you acquired? We've if someone shows you who they are, believe it. And we have so many instances of Kyrie showing who he is, who he's committed to, and what he is. There is it selfish? It's all these countless trades. In uh, trying to get you know this contract extension right now and looking out for himself, this Brooklyn team could make a strong run. They had just won like 20 of 24 games pretty recently. Kevin Durant's out right now, but they're doing very well. And yet this becomes now the focal point of their season. He wanted out at the beginning of the season, didn't get his way. I, I value my culture way too much if I was an NBA team to, to do this. And for Dallas, it's kind of laughable because they could have just re-signed one of their own and Jalen Brunson this offseason. Yes, they would have paid a little bit of a premium, but he's playing at an all-star level right now, signing with New York. And so, um, you know, now they're overpaying to perhaps try to correct that mistake and, and to their credit, trying to find some other talent for Luka to play along with because they just don't have a, a competitive team right now with, with Brunson moving on in the offseason. Scott, it's almost like Mark Cuban has said, I just can't get that piece to put next to Luca. And is Brunson a player? Like, I love watching Brunson, but he's a guy that needs the ball in his hand a lot. He's been given that opportunity with the Knicks and he's exploded. You look at the past history where LeBron had the ball most of the time in Cleveland when they won the, uh, the championship and Kyrie kind of was that second piece. Now, that's been a while. Do you think – how do those two guys even work together? Because Brunson is a guy, not a high-ego guy. Uh, Kyrie, it, the ego doesn't get higher, I don't think. Yeah, and the biggest thing is they're two ball-dominant guys down there in Luka and Kyrie. Now, uh, presumably, you know, if you're Mark Cuban, you go to Luca before this and say, are you good with this? He's your franchise guy. You absolutely ask him if he is good with this. And, and then you try to make it work here because if you're, if you're Dallas, you know by making this deal, you, you really need to sign him to an extension this offseason, which is what he was wanting all along here, Kyrie, uh, because it's complicated CBA, but by ha- retaining his bird rights, you're able to go over the cap to sign him. 
meaning he's going to get way more money potentially with Dallas than any other team in the free agent market could really offer him. And, and giving up Spencer Didwitty and Dorian, um, those two guys, very quality players, plus an unprotected first-round pick. Yeah, this is a big bet on what Kyrie can provide to your team. And as of three years ago, I'm not sure I would have ever made that bet on Kyrie. Scott, any moving in the water in terms of one way or the other for the Pacers of buyers or sellers at the trade deadline this week? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't apply either one of those tags generally to them. I think for one, they have a full roster right now, so it's not like they, right. they can just go, go add someone. What you might see is them move off a guy or two, perhaps be able to acquire a future draft asset. Um, for, they have about $10 million in cap space that they could use to their benefit, meaning if another team needs to get off some cap space, maybe you acquire a draft pick through there. Um, but Kevin Pritchard says he really just wants to be opportunistic when it comes to this. Uh, he really likes the, the players on the, on the roster right now. I think there's a lot of overlap right now, both from a guard standpoint and center standpoint. So maybe if you can clar- clarify that a little bit, you'll look to do that. But as always, it comes down to what another team is willing to offer right now. And I think there will be some movement, but generally these trade deadlines aren't nearly as exciting or or fun-filled, let's say, as fans want them to be. As a Pacer fan, moved here in 1990, I can never remember a year where the fans were just calm during the trade deadline, where they were like... I don't even think we should do any trading right now. Uh, hey, you, Pacers are not helping sports radio. I finally get behind the mic. I could create all these kind of crazy trade ideas and pitches. You know, you get these on your phone. I don't know where they come from. Pacers have great trade opportunity, or they, and it's and then you click on it. It's just some yeah. guy from his basement who came up with this idea. You're not even getting those. Because it just seems like the Pacers, this is the year to see the pieces that work. It got off to a great start. I think the fans are okay if they get to be in the play-in or they get a better draft pick. There's This is the one year of not, like not a lot of pressure. Can you ever recall a year where there seemed like there was less pressure on the GM or the coach? No, I don't think so, Scott. And to their credit, I think they handled it beautifully at the beginning of the season to set the tone this way. Very opposite, quite frankly, of the Colts, right? What did you hear going right. into this past season? Is, oh, big playoff run coming. Is, ooh, now with Matt Ryan, does that give them enough to make a Super Bowl push, right? That's the opposite of the Pacers. Before the season, they brought us media in and set the tone saying, hey, this could be a tough year. There's going to be some really good wins. There's going to be some really bad losses. Stay with us. We have the big picture in mind this season. So you, you set the bar low, you can only top it. And right now with 25 wins, they've already matched their win total from last season. So you could say, hey, the rest is bonus, right? The rest of the, rest of the games here on out, 28 games. Um, the reality is, though, it's not nearly uh, as close as I think they need to be. What, what you do hear, though, I will say from at least some players, is them talk about this playoff push. But right now, you know, they're several games out from the play-in tournament. Um, I know Tyrese, being, Tyrese Halliburton being back can, can help in many ways, but uh, I don't think the focus necessarily 
needs to be on that playoff push because this could be like we talked about at the beginning of the season. This could be about getting one more quality draft pick. They also have Cleveland's and Boston's, which right now would be 24 and 20, or excuse me, and 30. Maybe you probably would look to try to package those. I can't see them making four draft picks this upcoming summer, considering already the youth on this roster. And then things get really interesting. They have some cap space. You have some quality players, some that, uh, you know, opponents would covet and want to acquire themselves. And that's where I think, especially more so this coming off season, that the Pacers can really be more aggressive and, and set this rotation and lineup to the liking of the front office and head coach Rick Carlisle. Scott, you mentioned the play-in. They're two back on the lost side of Washington for that last spot. We talk about the NBA's goal of the play-in, among other things, extending maybe the shelf life of a team going into a buyer-seller role at the deadline. From the Pacers' perspective, has that I know they have bigger goals, and you mentioned that in their press conference to start the season, that this year was going to be an up-and-down year with growing pains, but like you mentioned, Kevin Pritchard said, stick with us and, and we'll get there, but does the play-in tournament its second or third year now, does that change anything in terms of the Pacers strategizing or outlook on the rest of this season, knowing that a postseason, even though it's not the playoffs, a postseason yeah. is still somewhat on the table? I sure hope not. I, I'm not a fan of the play-in tournament. I don't think that's anything any team should aspire to, right? right. You want to be the eighth seed and then get swept in round one by the Boston Celtics, right? Thank now, you. I, I do see something. <laughs> there is a real tangible value of reaching the true playoffs because, for example, uh, you know, Miles Turner, who's been here his whole career, hadn't been in the playoffs the last couple of years. Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halberg, they have never experienced what the playoffs is like. So there would be some value in that. But to me, I, I would still have the big picture in mind, and that's that's being a championship contending team a year or two down the line, much more than what what the last two months here mean. Scott, appreciate you making time for us as always. Uh, if I missed anything, I want to give you an opportunity to hit it on the way out. But Fieldhouse Files uh, for all your Pacers content, and of course, you have that linked as well up on 107.5thefan.com. Uh, anywhere else they could find you. Yeah, no, that's primary, primarily it. And, and later today, I'll post uh, talk with Domas Sabonis about his return. Finally getting some closure, right, from yeah. the trade that happened one year ago. So it was good to have Domas back in the building over the weekend. Thank you, Scott. All right, thank you, guys. That's Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files and 107.5thefan.com. Coming to us from the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as power tools, snowblowers, services, and so much more. They have you at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. From the drivehuber.com studios, Jimmy Cook and Scott Long, along with Eddie Garrison behind the board. Nice enough to continue to guide us through today's show. It's been a fun one. A lot of IU at the top of the show. Trey Galloway and Don Fisher in that noon hour. Last hour, Scott Agnes of Fieldhouse Files talking a little Pacers. And we'll get into a little bit of everything, the the craziness that is celebrations post winning a sectional. We'll get into some college basketball, and we'll also get some Colts Pulse now with the vice president of the ISC Sports Network, yeah. the voice of the Indy 11, and the postgame host and for the Colts Radio Network. Jimmy, one you're Rickstrom. failing one thing. What am I there are out? two hot teams in this state, IU IUPUI, the voice of IUPUI, 15-point winner over Green Bay. Greg Rakestraw, you're probably uh, just sobering up from all the victory champagne you've drank. Let's hear it. That was the first 
home conference win that I got to call in nearly two years, Scott. It had been a while. Wow. And I got to be on the call of Sports Center's top play a day ago. I saw that. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, the pay is just the same. Ah. Uh, I I think that is either the fourth or fifth time I have been on the call of the number one play on Sports Center over the years. You got to have that in a contract somewhere, right? So some incentives <laughs> in there, no? That I that I get a bonus? Yeah, something. something. Like Come that. on now. Now, back in the day, they used to have the uh, they used to have like the voting, like you know, they would be like like if the play would stay. And when they did that, was the year that Gary Harris hit the half court bank Ooh. shot to win the opening round of the section against North Central. Mm-hmm. And I was on the call of that game. The only voice you would hear though on that was Jan Bozier screaming. <laughs> uh, like, like I literally said for the win and then laid out for thirty seconds as Jan just kept going. <laughs> as Gary Harris led a conga line out one door at Noblesville and brought it back in another door to celebrate that <laughs> night. So I had, like, the, the number one play on SportsCenter for a month. So this one didn't last as long, uh, but uh, but uh, still, uh, was very cool to see. And uh, it was quite the throwdown that Vince Brady had on uh, Saturday afternoon. I, I get chills thinking of that Gary Harris one. Gary, uh, his family and him grew up about a block and a half from our house, same housing edition. And his dad's an all-time guy. And, yes, uh, he is. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Gary's dad, though, if you want to really get on Gary's dad's good side, tell him about how great Gary was as a football player. Because <laughs> That's right. Gary was like Randy Moss as a wide receiver. He was spectacular. He got high offers in football as well. And his dad played football. And he was like, man, I always kind of wished he stayed with football. And I'm like, well, Gary's uh, making uh, $20 million a year. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I, I, I think Gary made the right career. <laughs> he made the right out. decision. But, but it is interesting, though, that the last two kids that have had Kind of, a, and, and again, Gary's Gary's football prowess was not as as on display or talked about as much as guys like David Bell and Jerron Tibbs, who've been the last two versions of that, uh, where it was kind of football first. And obviously, David's now playing in the National Football League, but I still think David could have played basketball at Purdue as well if if Matt Painter had pursued him or if he had pursued it. And I've got to think that Matt Painter is having a conversation with with Coach Walters about Jerron Tibbs uh, because. I know he's going to be a really good football player at Purdue. I get that. Jerron would help that basketball team at Purdue as well. So he has a he has, he has a unique dilemma maybe coming up at some point in time next year. Yeah, uh, Rake, I'm I'm thinking back to my high school days. Uh, our senior year, we didn't have a good football team, and we hadn't won a game. And we finally faced a team that wasn't as good as us. And then we're getting cocky. And I'm listening to my guys, even some of them talk trash to this team. I'm like, remember, we had not won. We're them. Right. Did you feel any of that as the Jags are like, you know, hitting three pointers? They're up by 15. Or was the team just like, oh, my gosh, what a what a lift. Because uh, I, I wasn't I felt, in there. I felt that way the first few minutes when it was kind of a tie game. And, and while IUPUI lost to Green Bay back in early December, it was a seven-point game, the results of the last month, even though they had not been wins, had been clearly in favor of IUPUI. Like four of their five previous games, they had lost by six points or less. Uh, Green Bay had not been within single digits of a team in a month. Green Bay fired their head coach, Bo Ryan's son, Will, at the beginning of, of what is now two weeks ago. 
Um, and it is rare in our level that a midseason coaching change is made. Uh, but, but Green Bay elected to make that move. And so just kind of at, at, at Green Bay had nine guys in uniform. Just kind of all sides go, uh, that's probably a team that has mailed it in. Well, it's, it's, it's a tie game at 16 apiece. It's a tie game at 24 apiece. And in my mind, obviously not what I'm saying on broadcast, but for the love of God, we can't lose these guys, right? I mean, this, right. Is, this, this, is, this is the game that, that we're going to win. Um, and, and it was a six-point game at halftime. It quickly became double figures. And even as IUPUI really couldn't land a knockout blow, Green Bay never got any closer than seven. So in watching Green Bay, it reminded me so much of watching us last year. And there's not that big of a win total difference in IUPUI from last year to IUPUI in this year. But the competitive nature of games is far different than it was a year ago. And so where Green Bay is now is where IUPUI was at this time last year. Now for IUPUI, the question is going to be, hey, can you find a couple of more wins with six regular season games left to go and uh, have a little more tangible progress to show, even though I know that this is a significantly better basketball team than it was at this time 12 months ago. Greg Rakestraw joining us on the Mower Shop and Fishers Hotline and themowershop.com. I want to get into some Colts with you in a second, Rake, but first I want to dive into the realm of high school sports around the state, uh, particularly on the girls' basketball side of things, sectional championship weekend this past weekend. Uh, your your favorite story or maybe the best uh, feel-good story in terms of champions that were crowned uh, this past weekend? Watching Maddie Long dance after Fishers won the sectional championship at Noblesville. That's my daughter. Uh, she's the manager <laughs> of the Fishers. Lady Tigers, she sits on the bench. Um, thank you, Greg. And uh, Dad was out of town having to do his stand-up comedy. It was killing me. But, you know, that's the miracle of streaming. And if you would have been there Friday night... When there are four teams from Hamilton County and the place, there is not a ticket. I mean, uh, I guess they have no fire laws at Noblesville High School in that amazing (laughs) gym that they have the middle. And uh, you had four of the top five or six rated teams in the state. The energy is just remarkable. It was same Saturday. It's a Mudsock, Fishers, HSE. Those girls grow up playing against each other. And if you think they're friends, uh, I don't think there's a lot of friends. Would I be wrong, Greg, when you were watching that game? Given given how the Smith girls play, I'm not sure anybody's friends with them other than their teammates. And I mean, Maddie. That's a compliment. That, Maddie's that those, the one like thing that right. softens them. Those girls are ballers. Those fierce uh, would be the way I, I would describe it. Uh, and, and Fishers right. is. It, it's amazing. It's not exactly a big team. They don't start anybody above six foot tall have a couple of taller players that come off the bench. But the word that everybody mentions about about Fishers is physical. Yep. And that is not usually a word that sometimes you associate with, with girls' high school basketball. But to Scott's point, two, three, four, and five were in the same sectional. And it's just the nature of the geography of the Hamilton County sectional. And if you're a Zionsville fan, we lump you into Hamilton County when it comes to talking about this sectional every year. So it's the Hamilton County sectional and Zionsville. But no, the atmosphere on Friday night was fantastic. I was just there on Saturday, probably about 80 to 90% full. Yeah. Uh, but because it was a mud sock game, it was great. Um, and whomever comes out of that sectional, you know, last year's Noblesville that won the state championship and they weren't tested at all 
after they beat Fishers in the championship at Westfield last year. A little bit different this year, where South Bend Washington is the favorite. But for those that don't know, they lost a player for the season to injury in the last regular season game. Uh, the middle of the Reynolds sisters, who's going to join her older sister that's already at Maryland, um, she unfortunately is out with a foot injury. So now it makes a potential Fishers South Bend Washington meetup, which would in theory would happen in the semi state perhaps a little more level footing uh, when those two teams get together. Now, in terms of other stories that I like from the girls' sectional, there's the fact that my hometown has won a fifth consecutive sectional championship, which is the second longest active streak in the state. And I have a rare day off on Saturday. So I'm taking Ma Straw, and we're heading south. We're going to go to West Washington and watch Lanesville take on Wood Memorial uh, in the regional round with the hope I get to see Lanesville in the semi-state and State championship rounds the following two weeks. Other story locally I wanted to touch on is congratulations to Eminence. They are one of the smallest public high schools in the state. Their girls won their first sectional championship in 24 years on Saturday night. Congratulations to the Eels. They were celebrating in the tank. That's their home gym in Eminence on Saturday night. Congratulations to them. Hey, Jimmy, I've been trying to get a petition pushed through that Lanesville. What is the Lanesville uh, mascot? What's the team? That would be the Eagles, sir. The Eagles. Uh, the Fighting Rakes. The Fighting Rakes straws. Of, we call them the Fighting Rakes. You got an angry-looking rake, and you just you put it. Uh, let's see what we can do, Lanesville, to honor the voice of about half the sports that go on in the state. Greg Rakestraw. I think they're going to stick with the Eagles, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> trying, man. Greg Rakestraw, nice to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline and the motorshop.com. Rake, you, you've covered a lot of Colts football over the years. Uh, we, we keep dragging out as much as the, the Colts do, but in terms of just the the stretch of now week four, I believe, into this coaching search. Has this gone about how you thought it would in terms of the exhaustiveness of the process? And do you at this point have any feelings or lean of of, of who they might end up hiring ultimately as the 21st head coach of the franchise? My thought is that if you have gotten to this point, this is very similar to 2018, um, where you really have zeroed in on a person that, is still coaching at this point, whether it's the enemy, whether it's Steichen. Um, and again, I appreciate the fact that it has been um, exhaustive. Uh, it has been expansive in terms of the number of people that have been interviewed for the job. But if it's not one of the two guys that I just mentioned that are still coaching at this point, then frankly, you need to have your head coach wrapped up and signed, and that way you can move on at this point. Just because, yes, your general manager is not changing. Yes, your scouting staff is largely not changing. But you need to be able to tailor what you do in the draft to the skill sets, not just of your team, but of your head coach. So the fact that you know we are now almost on the second month of the Indianapolis Colts not having a head coach, at least having named a full-time head coach, knowing Jeff Saturday is still employed by the team at, at this juncture. Um yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, my thought would be uh, the rational explanation is it's one of the two guys that will be coaching coming up in the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Rake, do you believe that when you are bringing in a young quarterback like it lo- looks pretty apparent the Colts are going to do, you need 
an offensive coordinator to work with that person as the head coach? Or do you feel like that's something that's maybe sometimes oversold? I I would prefer to have an offensive-minded head coach that is there to help tutor and develop the young quarterback. And again, it is it is rare that you know the culture in this position. I say that they've done it twice in the last twenty five years, and in both times the, the head coach was a defensive guy. But at the same time, look at the person that was on staff to help guide the progress of said young quarterback. In twenty twelve, you had a guy like Bruce Arians who was available, who before he became a head coach and a Super Bowl winner and known across the country as the coolest cat in the room. Um, he, he was simply a, a quarterback guru because of the guys he had worked with, including a young Peyton Manning. So that worked out. Um, you know, go back to 1998, Jim Moore is a defensive guy, but you had a guy like Tom Moore that was there along with Bruce Arians again. Maybe the real answer is convince Bruce to come back and be the quarterback's coach for a third time uh, for the Indianapolis Colts, and that might be the way to go. So even though the Colts haven't done that the last couple of times, they've had the right guy in the building to help, you know, bring that young guy along. My thought is, is that, again, it's the way of the world in the National Football League. This is largely a league full of head coaches that are, have guys from offensive backgrounds, and that's the way I'd like to see the Indianapolis Colts handle it this does. I mean, they're not good defense, you know, defensive-minded coaches, but, again, my, my, I kind of lean towards a guy on the offensive side. Where do you stand on the play-calling experience aspect of things? Does that matter to you at all? Um, Preferred, but not not a necessity. I mean, again, Frank Wright came in here without play calling experience, and I realized that things went you know haywire this year. But I thought for the most part, his play calling, you know, that was not a problem over his first four years as the head coach, or that that was that was the reason for kind of the undoing of this football team over the last couple of years would be the play calls and play call selection. So, um, if you know offensive football, I think you can call plays. You know, I have not talked to you about this, but, you know, as someone who uh, is running the pregame, running the postgame, watching the games, your experience level, was there one thing that jumped out at you when you watched the Colts this year, either behind the scenes or actually on the field? I mean, everyone wants to point to the quarterback maybe the left tackle. Was there one element that you just felt like was killing it, or was it just an overall malaise that happened? Yes. <laughs> this is why I love Greg Rakestraw, who <laughs> – do we still have that buzzer? Because uh, I have uh, been very nice. Uh, last week we did a buzzer game. I think people loved it. I heard lots of good feedback on that because Greg has eight jobs. Steve Harvey only has six. Uh and uh, I'm sure you get that a lot, that you are the Steve Harvey of Indiana. I, I, I am the person that is on NDY more than Steve Harvey. I'm the That's one a guy good point. That's <laughs> 23 more than Mike. that. So trust me, I'm familiar with his work and all the various things that he does. No, I mean, it's, it was everything. I mean, it, it, was, it was offensive line play. It was quarterback play. It was lack of dynamic talent, the wide receiver position. It was everything. It, it typically was in the defense until the last two or three weeks of the season where the defense became a problem as well. So, you know, there's – I can be really nitpicky and point to 
three or four players or positions and say, hey, I feel good about that going forward. It was everything and everybody at the end of the year. So it wasn't just one thing or one player, man. It was uh, – there were a lot of different fingers of blame to go around uh, the way to 2022 unfolded for this football team. And, and you did mention that it was almost all offensive problems until the last couple weeks. Sure. Is, is there – is there talk that, you know, if you're the new head coach, whoever you are of the Colts, you know, that Gus Bradley is the D.C.? Where, where is things on that? I have not heard anybody really discuss that. I don't think you can hamstring the new coach by saying, hey, you're going to have to keep. And I, I think Gus Bradley did a pretty solid job. But I also think, again, if you have the faith and belief in this person, that this person is going to be the head coach, you have to let him pick his staff. And so whoever that head coach is going to be, if they want to retain Gus Bradley's services, if he wants to stay here, great. But if they want to bring somebody else in, or again, if it's a head coach like a Raheem Morris, who, again, has his own ideas as to what you're going to do from a defensive standpoint, you've got to let that guy do the job. So I don't think those terms will be dictated that, hey, we love to hire for the head coach, but we're picking your defensive staff. It's probably not going to be a successful marriage if you're doing that right off the beginning. So you got to let that new head coach determine who his staff's going to be. Greg Rakestraw with us on the Motor Shop in Fisher's Hotline and the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, services, and so much more at the Motor Shop in Fisher's and the motorshop.com. Greg, I'm not sure if you saw this, but Tom Pelissero reported earlier today the Lions are hiring. Colts running back coach Scotty, Scotty Montgomery. Montgomery, assistant head coach. Uh, your thoughts on, on that uh, promotion for him as he moves up the chain? Scotty was a guy that, you know, everybody in, in, in brighter times in August, but, you know, before the, the bottom fell out for this football team, Scotty was a guy that, that a lot of us around the team felt was not going to be here very long because, in theory, the team was going to be successful and Scotty was going to go get an offense coordinator position someplace. So becoming an assistant coaching, uh, assistant coach or assistant head coach uh, is not a surprise. Um, Scotty has been a guy that has been tabbed as potentially a future head coach. So I'm not at all surprised that he gets a promotion. I think he'll do exceedingly well there. Greg, I was uh, listening 100%, totally focused. Jimmy Cook uh, noticed that on one of the TVs, the voice, Mitch Holtis, of – the Kansas City Chiefs touchdown, Kansas City. Uh, Jimmy Cook, who is a very big Kansas City Chiefs fan, Greg yeah. has no idea. He's never heard that before. And an IU grad, you can imagine how full of himself. A <laughs> uh, Jimmy Cook walked in. He wasn't even. He was levitating when he walked in here today. Do you, have you ever like worked on a specific? touchdown call or home run call what what's yours uh a lot of time i'll make a big fly reference to a home run right um opposite fields oppo taco uh, love that actually. one you know yep. when it comes when it comes to specific touchdown calls um in television you have that less than you do on radio so in my UND days it was touchdown greyhounds uh, and you, you emphasize the R in Greyhounds, maybe you let that drag, you know, a, a little bit long. And I still do some UND football games on TV. But on television, you know, it's it, it's kind of like at the end of the game, you kind of have that scripted thing that, 
maybe not even script, but just kind of in your brain, you're, you're kind of rolling around with some things. It's more on radio where you don't have the joy of you know, the video telling the picture, where you have the more specific touchdown call that you know is, is that way of signifying, hey, my team just scored, my team just reached the end zone, et cetera. So I do not have anything as, uh, as iconic. I can literally hear Mitch's voice when you say, touchdown, Kansas City. By the way, Scott, do you know who the radio voice of the Chiefs was before Mitch Holtis? I do not. I guess it'd be Kevin Harlan if the dates line up, but I don't know if that's right or not. You nailed it, Kevin Harlan. Yep. Kevin Harlan was the guy that preceded Mitch as the radio voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. So Absolutely. Qu- quite a back-to-back there. With with uh, Scott's line of question, though, I want to continue that, Greg, as we talked a little bit about you getting a little SE top 10 love and getting the top spot. Um, across the sports you call, what is what is the most emphatic or, or your favorite aspect of it? A, a nice poster like that, a game winner. And if it is a game winner, what's the sport that's the best? Well, you know, it's, it's funny in game winners on, on TV, your basic job is to shut up and, and right. let the video tell the story. Um, and again, I've had so many of them with Jan Bozier over the years, you know, Jan is like a volcano that's ready to explode. <laughs> so I know there are a few voices that I can't compete with in terms of sheer volume Jans is one of them. So when a great play happens, I just back out and let him go. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll kind of let everybody catch their breath for a moment and go, okay, now we can resume the broadcast uh, <laughs> and, and, and go about pr- providing it. Um, I probably get as fired up because it is, it's, it's a neutral broadcast, but not necessarily, it's not really a neutral broadcast, but I try to be for the other team with Indy 11 goal call. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, you yeah. Know, on, on things like that. And because those happen maybe two or three times a game, you know, you can kind of sell out on those. You can't do that on every basket unless you're Gus Johnson and you're out of gas uh, by the time you get to, <laughs> to the end of, of the second half. Um, basketball buzzer beaters are fun because of the sudden nature of it. But again, play-by-play guys that are worth their salt get out of the way on television because it's really the picture that tells the story. Greg Gregstraw, master class in announcing. That's what this show does too. What's the longest goal that you've ever done in a soccer i mean do do you feel like there's a time limit that people should have on that because sometimes it gets so ridiculous i'm enjoying it more sure well first of all that's andres cantor yes cantor that does that (laughs) and he is a legend and what i try not to do is imitate anybody else when i am doing play-by-play so to me, since that belongs to him, yeah. I try not to replicate or, du- or duplicate that. So I get in, uh, kind of my trademarks uh, are back of the net, and then for a, for a goal, especially at home, with the Indy 11, it's cue the smoke, because you know we have a bunch of pyromaniacs in our, in our crowd, <laughs> the, the Brickyard Battalion. They don't actually have anything on fire, uh, but but it, it it smells like the after effects of Fourth of July fireworks. Like you know, I love the smell of sulfur on a Saturday night because it means <laughs> the Indy Eleven found, found the back of the net. Um, and so that is probably the call that is most associated with me. Is saying that on television, it's kind of become a mantra in terms of cue the smoke around the Indy Eleven. The wearer of many hats, Greg Rakestraw. Always nice to catch up with you, sir. Appreciate you you making the time and uh, looking forward to talking to you here as the high school season continues to conclude as we get closer to the start of the Indy 11 campaign as well. Scotty, are you on the road this weekend or are you getting to go to the Bill Green Arena on Saturday? Marion, 
4 p.m. I will not be there. I will have to ah. stream again. Uh, I'm a high high demand as a stand-up comedian doing corporate events. I was telling Jimmy, he's like, did was did I read that right? I'm like, yeah, you did. And I was off by two months. I bought my car in July of a year and a half ago. You know, 18 months. 74,000 miles. I am a long-haul trucker Man. telling jokes. A long-haul trucker driving a, uh, a a Prius. Absolutely, you are. Yes, sir. <laughs> I am not driving a Prius. <laughs> what are you driving? Uh, look, I have been emasculated enough having to drive the minivan around the town. I'm not going to drive a Prius on the road. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm driving because I am waiting for someone to buy it. But if I was going to drive any car, it would be Hubler. That's who, or maybe I might drive a mower from the mower shop. Well done. You've been powering at Briggs and Stratton across the Midwest. Gotcha. Chevy Uh Volt it is. Chevy Volt. Thank you, Rake. See you guys. That's Greg Rake. I'm no amateur, Jimmy. You You want to close it? I do. You already gave him a little love. Yes. The Mower Shop and the MowerShot.com. And of course, uh, if you're going to buy a snowblower or a commercial and residential mower, and definitely if you need service on those, that's where I go. The MowerShop.com in Fishers.